Well, today we're back in the book of Genesis, so please turn in your Bibles if you're able to Genesis 41. If you want to follow along in the church Bible, uh, you'll find that on page, it's near the front, page 34, page 34 of the blue church Bible. Uh, Genesis 41, as we continue uh, our, I was going to say long Genesis study, it has been long. We're coming near the end though, it'll be, be a while yet before we we are getting near the end of it. So Genesis 41, we're going to look at verses 1 to 36 this morning. So reading Genesis 41, verses 1 to 36. So let's listen to God's Word. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. Behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all his wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. And when they had eaten them, no one was, would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing in one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. 
The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. It will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. And we'll leave it there for this week. But let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Father, thank you for this record, Father. We are familiar, so familiar with the story. We pray, Lord, that as we look at it more closely together this morning, that you will reveal to us your glory. Lord, encourage us as we study our brother Joseph. Lord, help us to see ourselves. Lord, help us to see the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask for this in his name. Amen. The last time we were in Genesis was last year in early December when we looked at how Joseph interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh's chief baker and cupbearer. But of course, Joseph would correct me on that. He would say, well, it wasn't me that interpreted the dreams, but God. That's what he told them back in chapter 40 and verse 8. Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell your dreams to me. And, and they do. And the interpretations prove true. Three days later, the baker is, ex- is executed and the cupbearer is restored to his position at Pharaoh's side. When Joseph told the cupbearer what his dream meant, you remember how Joseph pleaded with him to mention his name to Pharaoh. Chapter 40, verse 14. Remember me. That's key. Remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. We can maybe imagine as the, uh, the cupbearer leaves the prison that day, the day he's released, as he goes out and the door closes behind him, Joseph is watching the back of him, the back of his head as he goes out the door, waiting, hoping that he won't forget him and that he will mention him to Pharaoh. Remember me, he said. Mention me, he said. But verse 23, the cupbearer forgot. He forgot Joseph, and therefore he never mentioned his name. He never raised the case of Joseph to Pharaoh. And Joseph has to wait day by day, week by week, month after month for another two years. I wonder, might he have prayed as the psalmist did, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? There Joseph was confined. There he was restricted when he had had those great dreams of glory 
Someone might have said, and this is often the language the devil uses, Joseph, this is just a waste of your life. This is just a waste of your time. You could be doing so much more now if you hadn't have been so principled with Potiphar's wife. But here you are, Joseph, shelved, forgotten. What a waste, Joseph. Where's your God, Joseph, in all of this? But of course, it wasn't a waste of time. Quite simply, Joseph wasn't ready yet. The bell on the oven hadn't dinged for the bread to be ready, but now to be able to be eaten. It, it, it wasn't ready. It wasn't time. This wasn't a waste of time, and God certainly hadn't forgotten his man. But Joseph needed two more years, as it were, in the oven. Two more years to prepare him for what now comes in chapter 41. Friends, all of you, and especially any of you who this morning are feeling frustrated with God's timing, can I remind you, as we look here at the life of Joseph, can I remind you that our Father knows what's best for each of his children? It's like when you get on, when you learn to ride the bike for the first time, and all your big mates are riding the bike without the stabilizers. And you're thinking, I want to ride my bike without the stabilizers because I want to fit in. And maybe your father or your mother or some wiser person said, no, son, keep them on. And you think, this is stupid. This is a waste of time. But Father knows best. Father knows best. And maybe any of us who this morning are frustrated. And God, when are you going to take the stabilizers off my life? And just let me run. Father knows best. Our Father in heaven is working everything out perfectly according to the counsel of his will. And the wise man in Ecclesiastes tells us that God has made everything beautiful in its time. When that cupbearer went back to work the day he was released, Pharaoh could have had the dream that very night. He could have. And then, yes, the cupbearer may have remembered, oh, Joseph, Joseph can help you, Pharaoh. And Joseph would have been called in the very next morning and so on and so forth. That's what Joseph would have wanted. And I guess that's what we would have prayed for if Joseph was part of our home group. We would have prayed, Lord, get Joseph out of prison today. Get him out. But God said two more years, two more years. He's not ready. He's not ready yet. Two more years of monotony. Two more years of confinement. Two more years of learning patience. Two more years of learning to wait on God. Two more years of learning to trust in God. To trust in a sovereign God. Not just to hear about it. To actually experience it. And for that head knowledge to be worked into the fabric and the details of his life. Joseph needed two more years. And remember that. And remind each other of it. When we talk to each other after the morning meeting and we're talking eating biscuits and slurping coffee and we're saying, I'm frustrated. Remind one another, two more years for Joseph. How many more for us? Well, I have four points this morning. I could have had five, but I had to draw a line. Four points this morning. First of all, we have Pharaoh's dream there in verses one to eight. And clearly, these are bizarre, bizarre dreams, are they not? In his dream, he sees himself there stood by the Nile and out of the water, as the ESV says, comes seven attractive, plump cows. NIV calls them sleek and fat. But these are cows you would see on those Yorkshire uh, country file sort of programs where the guy in the white jacket is proudly walking around the field, pulling his cow behind him. That's them. These are beautiful cows. These are wonderful cows. 
And then in Pharaoh's dream, behold, and that word behold is important. I don't know, I didn't check if it's in the NIV. NIV often leaves out the word behold, but in the ESV, it's there five times. Moses says, behold, this is such a vivid dream. Behold, he says, seven ugly and thin cows come up out of the Nile, and they eat the seven plump cows. And and Pharaoh is clearly disturbed by what he dreamt. He's disturbed by what he saw in his dream, and presumably, because we, this happens, doesn't it? He would have been disturbed by what he heard in his dreams. Imagine a cow eating another cow. The screams, presumably, and the muck and the mess and everything else. This is clearly a disturbing dream. Now he's awake. Sometimes I've woken up to a light in my bedroom and it's Sandra reading her Kindle. She has woken up worrying about house moves or solicitors or things like that and she can't get back to sleep and so she reads her Kindle just to get back to sleep. I don't know what Pharaoh did to get back to sleep but he eventually drops off back to sleep again. And this time, well, he has another dream but this time he dreams of seven fat ears of corn and growing on a stalk and Again, they're eaten. They are swallowed up by seven thin and blighted ears of corn. And again, this dream is so vivid, it, it disturbs Pharaoh, and, and he's awakened by it. It's interesting how verse 7 ends, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Well, well of course it was a dream, Pharaoh. But you see, the point is that this has been such a, a vivid dream that Pharaoh must have felt it was real, so much so he is now deeply, deeply disturbed by it, so deeply disturbed that he looks for help, he looks for relief from others, and he summons all his wise men and all his magicians. It's a bit like Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Well, Pharaoh has called together all his magicians and all his wise men, and they cannot put his mind back together again. He is so deeply disturbed, so anxious. The culture of that time of Egypt, they put great significance on dreams. They saw dreams as messages from the other side, from the spiritual world. And of course, since Pharaoh was viewed as a god of sorts, then how much more significant would his dreams be? So what does it mean? There he he brings in all the finest uh, magicians, the finest wise men that this superpower could find and there they come in with all their books and with all their charts and verse 8 there was none who could interpret them to pharaoh and usually you see that would have meant the end of them do you remember what happened when nebuchadnezzar in daniel chapter 2 had a really bad dream and none of his wise men could interpret any of his dreams and he ordered them all to be executed only daniel was able by god to help nebuchadnezzar here with Pharaoh, maybe there was one or two who might have suggested something to him. You know what that's like when someone suggests a possible solution to your problem, but it doesn't lie right. It doesn't feel right. None of these people can bring peace to Pharaoh's troubled mind. And so begins the next stage of God's plan for Joseph. And so begins, as we'll see, Pharaoh, Pharaoh the deity, Pharaoh coming to learn something about God. How does it begin? It begins with God making someone deeply anxious. And I just want to emphasize that as our first point this morning, as you and I, as we pray for our unsaved loved ones, 
We pray for our spouses. We pray for our families, our children. We pray for our grandchildren, our friends and colleagues and so forth. But we're praying for those who have apparently no care or interest in God. What do you expect God to do in order that he might bring them to himself? I think we need to remember it may well be that God's answer to your prayers for them is for them to begin their journey of faith to Christ with trouble, with anxiety, a big word these days, with stress, with depression, with some sort of mental issue. We need to remember that because if we don't remember it, then then when we see our loved ones anxious, when we see them disturbed and we're praying that God would save them, we might simply say, Lord, please stop this because it's not nice seeing my wee Johnny upset like this. Please stop it. I guess there's nothing wrong with praying that God would take away this anxiety. There's nothing wrong with that, but can you see the bigger picture here? Rather than seeing their disturbed emotions and anxiety as evidence, see it as God on the move in their life, God at work in their life, and so pray for them, as well as praying, Lord, help them. Pray, Lord, in their troubles, may they find peace in Jesus Christ. Would you pray that? In their worry about their finances, Lord, please help them, but please, may they find peace with you, the source of all that is good and perfect that comes down from heaven, you the giver of our daily bread, Lord, may they find peace with you. In their fear of death when they have an illness, Lord, oh Lord, may they find life and peace in Jesus Christ, Christ who came into our world to take away the fear of death. Pray as those who know the truth. So it's as God disturbs Pharaoh that this stage is then readied for Joseph to appear. But before he comes on stage, secondly, we have the cupbearer's memory in verses 9 to 13. And and now he remembers. And I'm I'm sure we've all experienced it when there was something you were meant to say. I, I hold my hand up to this in my house. There was something you had to pass on. I forgot to mention the garage drive. It's too late now because the garage is now closed. Or your prescription is ready to be picked up, but it's now too late because the, yeah. we, we know what this feels like, but, but something happens that triggers in our mind this sudden awakening. And you remember, well, that's what's happening here with this cupbearer. I mentioned before when we looked at the very end of chapter 40, I believe this forgetfulness of the cupbearer, it must have been from God. For him to, for the cupbearer to have completely forgotten, for for to have completely switched off, as it were, remembering someone who had been so instrumental in his release from prison. Surely this must have been some sort of deliberate mental blindness from God. God hid Joseph in the memory of this cupbearer until the right time, until two years later, until the fullness of time had come. Now the light is switched on. Now when Pharaoh has had the dreams and the cupbearer sees how disturbed his master is and how hopeless his master's wise men are, it's now that God takes away the restraint on the cupbearer's mind and he remembers Joseph. Isn't this brilliant? Another example of the brilliance of God's sovereignty, of how he remembers, sorry, how he controls even our memory. It's a bit like on the road to Emmaus. You remember how those two men were walking on the road out to Emmaus and the Lord Jesus joins them and and they were kept from recognizing who it was. How did God do that? Well, I don't know. 
but it says he did it. And it seems here that this is what has happened to the cupbearer. He was kept from remembering Joseph for two more years. We've already mentioned, haven't we, how Joseph needed those two more years. God knew he needed two more years to be readied to become what he becomes in chapter 41. But if you think about it, the cupbearer had have mentioned Joseph's story to Pharaoh the very day he was released. How do you think Pharaoh would have reacted? I guess the, the leader of the world's most important country in the whole of the entirety of the world at that time would simply have said, so what? So what? It's just unlike anybody else there in prison. So what? Or if the cupbearer had explained to Pharaoh about, you know, this guy Joseph, he interpreted my dream, Pharaoh would have said, well, I've already got plenty of dream interpreters. I don't need another one. I'm, ha I'm fine. So what? But it's now in God's perfect timing that none of Pharaoh's wise men can help him, and Joseph's ready, and, and who knows what else God has prepared? Who else on the fringes of God's control, the entirety of his control, actually, but even names not mentioned in the story, countries not mentioned in the whole book, but are existing at that time throughout the world? Who knows, but it's then when God has everything in place, exactly when he wanted it, that God says, right, now you can remember. And the cogs begin to move again. Well, thirdly, then, we have Joseph presented in verses 14 to 24. And look at the urgency in verse 14. Look how the verse is full of verbs. It's full of action. And Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. In a flash, Joseph is shaved. He is sanitized. He's Egyptianized. Egyptians didn't grow beards, but he's rushed out of the prison and he's brought into the palace. And don't we see just in that scene how after two years waiting, when God says it's time, how things move surprisingly quickly. And I'm sure we've experienced that in our own lives when we're, we're up against a brick wall seemingly because now is not the right time. But when God says now is it's time, it's like, it's like, what happened there? What happened? What changed there? God said, now's the time. And things began to move again. That very morning, Joseph was living in the filth of the prison pit. And within an hour or so, there he is cleaned up and standing in front of Pharaoh who needs him. Verse 15 tells us, Joseph, I've had a dream and no one I have can interpret it for me. But I hear you can interpret dreams, Joseph. Can you help me? Now, try and imagine yourself in Joseph's shoes. Try and imagine how he could have responded to that, having this opportunity to please Pharaoh, to say something, to say anything that would keep him from being put back in the prison. There he is, this solitary man stood in Pharaoh's palace, and with verse 37, we see how all, the, all of his cabinet, all of his wise men are stood watching and listening Imagine the temptation Joseph would have faced just to moderate his words. Standing in front of this man who claims deity, you know, not to mention another deity. Don't bring up God. Just, you know, try and put a smile on his face just to get out of there. Can you help me, Joseph? And Joseph replies, no, I can't, but God will give you your answer. How oh, brilliant. See the humility and what Joseph says here. This is the humility that every 
genuine Christians should show in their service to God. Yes, Joseph, he did it back in the prison and so forth, but it wasn't me, it was God. It's like John the Baptist-like humility. You remember how John's disciples were a little bit envious for John's sake because Jesus had a bigger following now than John, and John said to them, look, I've got to decrease. He must increase. And that's for any one of us this morning, any one of us who has been given a task of doing something for God, whether you're stood at the door or you're teaching in there or you're up at the front here doing something for God, Lord, hide me behind him. Hide me behind my God. We can do nothing, friends. We are nothing without the God who calls us to serve him. There's deep, there's great humility here in Joseph, but there's also boldness. And that's difficult for us as fallen creatures to get right, to get this sense of humility in ourselves, but also this sense of boldness. Usually we swing one to the other. But here is Joseph, whilst humble, he's also bold to, as I said, to stand in front of someone who, who claimed deity as every Pharaoh did and to say to him, what you can't do, God can. You've had this dream and you can't solve it, you can't bring peace to yourself, but God can. And can you see this pattern in Joseph's life, this repeated big view of God he has? When, like when he was tempted with Potiphar's wife and back in chapter 39, verse 9. And yes, we looked at that, didn't we? How all the things he could have said to, to not do what he did. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? God was the fundamental factor in why he said no to adultery. Or when he was in prison with the chief baker and the, and the cupbearer, chapter 40, verse 8, and he tells them, do not interpretations belong to God. But whether Joseph, as it were, is in private in the bedroom or he's in prison, so he is in public here in the palace with Pharaoh. It's not me who can help you, Pharaoh, but God. In other words, God is more important to Joseph and what people think of God than what they think of Joseph. Do you see that? For someone who could have manipulated the situation to, to get himself out of prison, but he was faithful to God. And this is the fruit, you see, of a God-focused life. After 13 years of preparation in the pit by his brothers and then in the penthouse working for Potiphar, and now then in the prison, <clears throat> Here he is in the palace, and it hasn't been a waste of time, has it? For look at Joseph stood here, stood before the most powerful man in the then-known world, and Joseph still gives glory to God. I suspect a lesser man would have dumped God by now. A lesser man would have thought, well, look what all this principled living has got me so far. Like Job's wife said to Job, why don't you just curse God and die, Job? But Joseph has learnt, you see, taking him all these years to learn to trust God and to wait on God. And somehow Pharaoh is won by this humble boldness. And for the second time, I nearly missed it out for the sake of time. But I'm glad I read it because it emphasizes the point. Now for the second time, we hear Pharaoh tell someone else his dreams. So fourthly and finally, we have God's revelation, verses 25 to 32. And again, Joseph points Pharaoh away from himself to God. And he begins with God, verse 25. He ends with God, verse 32. And he reiterates that it's God who's behind all of this in verse 28. You find that when you're talking to people who have a God-focused life. 
they'll often talk about God. Listen out for it this morning. They talk about God because God is a major actor in their life. They have a living relationship with the living God, and so they can't help but talk about their God. And this is what Joseph does here with Pharaoh. You know how the interpretation goes. Joseph describes what's about to happen. The seven years of abundant harvest followed by seven years of severe famine. That both dreams mean the same thing. In verse 32, the fact that Pharaoh dreamt it twice indicates the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Do you see there how convicted Joseph is about the fact of God's providence? I guess someone could have reasoned away how it was that the seven years of harvest would come about and how it was then that there would be seven years of famine afterwards. I guess someone could have done the scientific research and taken soil samples and measured the wind and measured the amount of water that falls every day. Maybe they called a conference together to set certain goals and we're going to burn less, we're going to do more of this or more of that and so forth. They could have. Whatever the secondary reasons are, the primary reason is God. He is the one calling the shots in Egypt, not Pharaoh, and not the plethora of gods that Egypt had. They had a God for everything. They had a God for the sun. They had a God for the rain. They had a God for the Nile, as we'll find out in our children's talks, I think, in Exodus. A God undermines all of those deities when he sends Moses back in to Egypt. They had all them at that point, you see. Pharaoh relied on all of those deities at that time. Here comes Joseph, you see, with his humble boldness, and he says, let me tell you, Pharaoh, God is in control of Egypt, not the farmers, though they will be a means that God uses, not the climate through the sunshine and rain and so forth, but again, God will use them as a means to fulfill what he's doing. It's God, whether it's Joseph's life, seemingly suspended in prison, or it's what Pharaoh will be able to eat for breakfast, but it's God. As the Lord said to Cyrus the Great of Persia, Isaiah 45 verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me there is no God. Can I say that these days? Not out there. I will strengthen you though you have not acknowledged me. You see, God feeding the place of Dawkins and all those others who say there is no God, God feeds them, God clothes them, God keeps them alive still. For his own purposes, I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things, he says. Is that not what our nation needs to hear? These days, is that not what our national churches need to hear at this time? Of rising prices and strikes and war in Europe and so on and so forth? Is that not what we need to hear from big pulpits, let's call them? Rather than just criticizing our government and saying they ought to do better, you know. Yes, commentators will explain these things away and, you know, it's because of so and so. It's because of this or that or whatever. And that may be so. I'm not trying to say it's, you know, it's nobody's fault 
But as we look into Scripture, God reveals to us in his word that whilst, yes, there are these secondary causes which God uses, ultimately the primary cause of this disruption of our present discontentment is the Lord. And in his wisdom and his righteousness, I do all these things. That's what the Lord Jesus had to remind Pilate of when Jesus, the true Joseph, stands before him and Pilate assumes that he has the power, he has the authority, you see, whether to condemn Jesus or to release Jesus. What does Jesus tell him? Well, again, in that perfect balance of humility and boldness, Jesus tells Pilate in John 19, 11, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And yes, there was the cowardly Pilate. And yes, there was the treacherous Judas. Yes, there were players. There were people that God used. Friends, ultimately, these were the means the Father used to fulfill his eternal plan. Plan brought about at the perfect time to bring salvation, to bring life to a spiritually famished world. That all who will go to that Joseph will live Jesus. We have to leave it there this morning, but... Can I just say to you, whether you're in the proverbial pits or penthouse, the proverbial prison or palace, I don't know how you are this morning, but the Lord is there with you if you're a Christian. He's there with you. It may seem as though he's not. It may seem as though my life is just a bit of a waste. It, it, I feel shelved. I feel as if I'm treading the water just. If you're a Christian, God is at work, always at work. He has begun his work in your life and he will complete it and today you might not feel it but he is at work and one day he will finish it gloriously finish it to the praise of his name let's leave it there for this morning then shall we pray together father thank you for joseph oh lord thank you for keeping him for sustaining him for preserving him lord thank you that what you did through the specifics of joseph's life we we see those principles in our own lives when we feel set aside for a time. We feel unable to, to do what we'd prefer to do or what we thought you were going to use us to do. And we're wondering, Lord, how long? Lord, have you forgotten me? Please draw near to each of us, Lord, please. And help us remember your timing is perfect. You, your timing is not like ours. But what you have willed, Lord, you will do. And Father, we do pray for our loved ones who are anxious today who are troubled in one way or another they're troubled and they don't know you and lord they're going to those empty cisterns looking for help from their magicians and wise men and we pray that in your tenderness in your love in your patience lord please will you bring them please to that glorious conclusion that who can help me but jesus christ please god will you do that and give us the words to say we need to say something, please. Help us to apply this, this humble boldness. God, please minister for each of us, Lord, and use us, O oh God, in your perfect plan. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.